Thanks for listening to the Movement Church Podcast. Movement is located in Newport, Kentucky, and you're always welcome to join us on a Sunday morning at 1030. Hope you enjoy this podcast. Good morning. Welcome. Whoever welcomes me welcomes you. Whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet, in the name of a prophet, receives a prophet's reward. Whoever receives the name of a righteous righteous person receives the reward of the righteous. That's my welcome to you today. God has sent me here um, almost against my free will. Uh, (laughs) It's been a long time since I've been in a pulpit actually preaching. I know that I've preached online with nobody here, you know, a long time ago. Some of you are new to me. I'm new to you. And so I want to uh, take a moment and uh, use this time as I'm setting up my uh, iPad here um, to tell you a little bit about myself, my wife Kim here. We've been searching for a church home. If you remember, a few years ago, it was the toughest task before us, I will tell you that. Um, It wasn't easy for us to just have the courage to walk into another church community, okay? It takes a lot of courage to do that. Um, I don't know if you can remember. It was a challenge in terms for us of leaving a church denomination for almost all of our married life, which, by the way, we're married 35 years, so we've, we've raised three kids. We have five grandchildren, right? And so in that, that's our context, you know. And uh, it, through that, we suffer from a term called uh, Christian fatigue syndrome. Um, that's something that Ruth Haley Barton in her book Sacred Rhythms uh, calls CFS, Christian fatigue syndrome. Um, because we have experienced much in 22 years of ministry, we do not have time today to share all those experiences, although I am going to share some with you today. What we did not want to do when joining a church is to bring any negative baggage from our previous church experiences into this or any other community. We had enough wisdom to know that healing needed to be done. We needed to seek a place for that, but we weren't going to bring our baggage in here um, What we desired was to be known and seen as who we are, simply, you know. Not what I can do for you. Not what, oh, here comes somebody, maybe they'll be good at, you know, that's what churches do, right? And that's our role as a church, to make and grow disciples. But, you know, we needed a season of rest, you know. Uh, I'm grateful that Josh listened and recognized that, and he gave us plenty of space and said, you know, you're here to heal, I get it, just let me know when you're ready. (laughs) Well, here I am. (laughs) Be careful what you say yes to, right? So we discovered here a faith community that really loves their children. Wow. Um, Kim has served in children's ministry all these years, and trust me, it was something to see something so organized and loving and intentional about how you all love your children here and that you care enough to raise them in the faith family, right? Because kids aren't being raised this way anymore, you know. 
so that was something we really discovered. We found men and women volunteering for children's church. I'm not used to seeing a lot of men in my experiences say yes to children's church and serving. Kim and I said yes for a year, and uh, I enjoyed that time together. Um, and it always like does my heart good when I see you know several of you, and I'm not going to drop names today, but you know several of you are always going down there and doing children's church, especially the men. It just does my heart very good. I really love that. We found the faith community where the worship leaders aren't just only gifted, but my experience of worship leaders are always they're wordy. You know, and our experiences coming in here is they just sing. <laughs> they don't compete with the pastor. You know, they're not trying to, you know, overcome his message. And then now you go, wow, i got to listen to the pastor's message now. We found the faith community where groups are intentional. Uh, groups are formed and are forming right now. And, uh, you know, we're part of a group. And uh, we really enjoy our time together and the intentionality of it. We also have some great people who lead our group. And uh, so we found this abundance of gifts and service here. A lot of artisans are here. A lot of people who do crafts and woodwork and art. There's a lot of gifted artisans here. I'm always amazed by that, you know. And I just cannot believe that. There's a lot of women who work very hard in very big girl jobs and raising kids at the same time. Wow. I'm just astounded by that. So that's something that we enjoyed. We found a faith community where the pastor challenges us and is passionate about his calling. It's not just something he checks off the list. And that's why he's in arrest right now, and I'm glad he is. Uh, he's passionate about his calling. We found a place where some young folk can accept us older dudes. Because let me tell you, at 56, you know, I'm the old guy. And there are some really angry older people out there right now. And, you know, I was just having an earlier discussion about that, ironically, uh, with someone. But just people are mad and angry and you know that's what our message is about today you know is our anger issues I don't want to be that guy I'm working very hard not to be that angry old guy who's mad at the world and thinks it should just be the way it used to be you know and so here we found a place where we laid down our previous identities and roles simply just to be and to heal and because of that along with precious faithful soul friends that we have who helped us recover our true identity to see my true self through friendship, we're now discovering that God has more for us. We're now discovering what that is. We also know this church, as with any other you visit or become a part of, elsewhere has seen its share of imperfection. We are imperfect people living in an imperfect world, right? And let me tell you something. This is where, this is the space where we're not supposed to live into that. This is the space where we're called to live and cultivate love and maturity and grace. The whole reason I know you and you know me, the whole reason we all know each other is because of what? The church today. We've been a part of Movement Church for over two years. Some things you know about me, one being that I served as a bivocational pastor in the United Methodist Church that was then called 
the Covington District in the Kentucky Annual Conference, and I was appointed as pastor of Eggleston United Methodist Church for 11 years. As an Enneagram 5, if any of you know that, we are known as people who don't often share too much details about ourselves. It's not that we're secretive. We're just not those kind of people. Um, so, a little bit about myself. My church history journey that led to my roles in pastoral ministry began serving several years as a Sunday school teacher for middle-aged youth, and I had a one Daniel Cropper in my class at one point in time. Am I right? Right. Okay. I don't know if he learned anything, you know, but uh, I served as Sunday school superintendent at the church, at the local church, which, you know, you're in charge of getting Sunday school teachers and booking Sunday school. And that's about all of that it is, really. Um, I was a uh, adult youth, co-youth leader in our church, did a lot of youth group-led uh, events. Um, and then it led up to a certified lay speaker, licensed to preach school, and the more roles that followed, I served as assistant spiritual director, assistant lay director for the Northern Kentucky Emmaus Retreat Ministries for men and women in Northern Kentucky, Chrysalis Community for kids in that group, instructor trainer for the Lay Academy of Church Excellence and Evangelism in the United Methodist Church, as well as partnership and campus ministry at NKU. I also trained in Jim Griffith's new plant church development in 2012. Not to mention all the countless, you know, administrative councils, finance committees I've served on. You might be getting a clue where CFS came from, you know. Um, I'm the recipient of several bishop awards from 2003 and 2007. Small Church of the Year Award in 2005 in Kentucky Annual Conference. Most of my life in ministry... I have worked, and I have worked in the construction field, most of it right now when I'm serving as a commercial and lead estimator for a millwork company here locally. Um, I am not sharing, hear this very carefully, I am not sharing all of this with you today to brag about my past or to wow you. I'm telling you today to say, I've seen my share of anger, triangulations, and disunity in action among the faithful as well as those in church leadership. It qualifies me to be here with you today. I have to confess to you something. I unconsciously participated in such disunity. I'm not one standing here like I've got it all figured out because I'm learning as well as you are today. After 11 years of success in terms of growing the kingdom, I participated unknowingly in some form of disunity that came to a head after working tirelessly as an associate pastor at a very large church in the area with a budget of $326,000, two services, Five groups I led, doing 125 miles a week, maybe Saturdays off. Uh, let me tell you something. It was exhausting. It was something that really wore you out. And uh, after that, we got a pastor that was uh, 
changed out, and then things started falling apart. And I started sounding the alarm bells because one by one, people were leaving, and I cared about those people a lot. But it just didn't seem to be getting there. After that switch, one by one, as they were leaving, and they were good, faithful people, let me tell you, unconsciously, the people there were more often focused on control, complaining, personal preferences, competitive agendas, passive-aggressive behavior, rather than focus on the mission of the church. Um, it affected my health in ways I could not even imagine, um, and I, you know, was really getting worn down. I, we, became a casualty, and we became a casualty of hardened hearts who were focused just on what they wanted, but also it really aggravated us of the misrepresentations the false narratives, the betrayals, and we had them, backdoor secret religious agendas focus on productivity and results rather than spiritual growth. I'm here because I want spiritual growth, and I want to participate in helping shatter the images that we keep getting in our heads about God that need to change and be truthful about the Lord. You know, was I angry? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Cynical, angry, hurt. Uh, felt like God left me. I couldn't hear his voice anymore. Uh, so I resigned. Um, by the way, I'm sad to tell you that church no longer knows itself by its name. That disunity broke it completely up and it had to be swallowed up by another church. To save the faith I had in God, I resigned from my position and from the UMC altogether, which I did not enter into lightly, folks. It wasn't a lighthearted decision. I prayed about those decisions. You know, Those experiences led me to disillusionment and lay bare for me to question many things I thought I once had settled. I chose the leave the yard of what I call Mother Church. It's Barbara Brown Taylor has a book called Leaving Church, and that's borrowed from that term. You know, uh, there just comes a time you have to leave the yard, you know. I no longer want to be known for my roles that I played, and I laid adrift for several years, long to be known for being just me and seeking to know who I truly am, to be better acquainted with my own heart and my own deepest desires, and where to be yes best used for kingdom work. Um, I will tell you, I'm actually very sensitive and feel things very deeply. I am an intuitive, empathetic, and I'm highly perceptive. I just express it differently. I might look stone cold to you. I just, I don't mean to come off that way. It's just my personality. Um, So the Christian fatigue syndrome is a real thing for us. To just have meetings about more programs, more things, repeatedly day in and day out, just, you know, we've been through it all. We've seen it all. You know, we've watched all of it. 
I want the action part. As a pastor, I did try to be in action rather than stand here and talk to you about it. This is my least favorite role as a pastor. My least favorite role as a pastor is to be talking here. You took the time to walk in this door today. How many doors could you have walked in today? You took the time to get up, click, and watch us online. What? How many choices did you have today? I can tell you, I'd be making buttermilk pancakes right now. You know. And I find that kind of a weight. That's always a weight on me, personally, because it's like, well, what good news can I have for you today? So trust me, serving all these years of ministry, these small squabbles may seem really trifle, you know, but what happens is it's a symptom of what can happen when the climate of your culture around you, of the world, takes hold of you, and each one of us, and people who say we are Christians, and it destroys us. On a survey of common things to fight over from Tom Rainier, this ought to get you good. Can you guess what the most common church fight is right now? What's that? I heard somebody say, music? Did I hear that? No? Anybody? Anybody online? Anybody got an idea what the common church fight is? Temperature in the church building. <laughs> the temperature in the church building. And I'm laughing because the first thing I did when I walked in today was, ooh, it's kind of chilly in here today. <laughs> he went on to list 25 of the silliest arguments he gathered from the survey. Here are a few. A fight over which picture of Jesus to put in the lobby. A dispute over whether the worship leader should have his shoes on during the service. And an argument that broke out because the church used cran grape juice instead of grape juice for communion. Sounds petty, doesn't it? Anywhere groups of people gather, conflict is certain to arise, and the church is no different. There's not a church without conflict. If you're looking for one, good luck. There are some typical responses we all have to conflict and anger. Usually they're, you know, reactive responses. I'll go there with that. Uh, fight or flight. A lot of us choose the fight. I chose the flight. Avoidance. Pretend it's not there. Repress it and push it down until it comes out ugly and something unrelated. And my favorite, not so favorite, passive-aggressive behavior. Delicious. I can spot that a mile away because my senior pastor had a problem with that. As followers of Jesus, though, church, in all seriousness, we're called to maturity. As letters of Colossians, we could read the following, and I didn't bring my Bible with me, but I'm going to reach down here and grab it. 
Colossians uh, 3, 8 through 15. We need this reminder today for us, for certain. I don't, um, I hope I can read this well. But now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practice and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge and the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace and be thankful. Paul's reminding the church what we're supposed to do, what we're supposed to be growing into, right? Something of maturity. Um, we as a church community mature when we look inside ourselves first. Maybe ask better questions. Maybe not be so reactionary. You know. Examine our motives. Examine what's going on in ourselves, right? Lay down our egos and extend what Christ gives us each waking day, new mercy. Every day we wake, <laughs> Whew. new mercy, right? God matures us as a community when we're all willing to extend that same grace. God's chosen people, holy and dearly beloved, to clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, right? Humility, gentleness, and patience to forgive as the Lord forgave you. We will never live out God's dream for us to connect with one another if we live out through insecurities, anger, jealousy, envy, personal church preferences, and go unchecked and destroy all of our relationships with one another. It's never going to work. Out of the five listed here today, I'd say gentleness could be used. We're not very gentle with each other. We seem to come at each other, you know. Um, but it doesn't mean you cannot differ. I know for certain just by our sharing of groups that we're all different on many things. But we accept one another. So we're not talking about conformity, church. We're talking about respecting each other, right? Some differences need to be addressed, and some bring on anger. And it needs to be addressed at certain times, but it has to be done in gentleness and love. Paul emphasizes the virtue to put on the love that binds all this together, correct? Uh, in the Gospels, we're invited to what I call three movements of love and maturity. And the one we're supposed to know so well is love, 
are you known by love? We all have heard and know too well that Jesus gave for all of us the great commandment, which we read here in Matthew 22. And let me turn to that. You've heard it before. I've been in here. We've heard this a couple times since I've been here. And I miss some Sundays. And I confess, I don't always look online. There you go, Josh. Matthew chapter 2, beginning at verse 37, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Right? This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. It's interesting here that Jesus is asked for one commandment but gives two. I don't know if you noticed that or not. To love this way is to love one's neighbor as yourself. It's not a feeling love, people. It's a covenantal love. It's not agape, it's agapea. It's a covenantal love, the love which God has for the whole church, all of us. It's an action love. It's not a feeling love. The Great Commission to go. I know we've heard this one (laughs) over in Matthew 28. And, you know, this is something I love so much about the Methodist Church. Their number one theology was to make disciples. It was pretty easy, right? Go make disciples. Um, Easier said than done. But uh, here at uh, verse 28, beginning at uh, nine, or chapter 28, 19, um, begins as this, as Jesus says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. As we love God and neighbor, there's a movement where we find Jesus given the call to you and me. Did you think it was to the disciples? The call of the fishermen in chapter 4, the call of Matthew in chapter 10, is the call he's given you and I to go to all nations. To fulfill the promise God spoke to Abraham all the way back in the beginning in Genesis. The very end of the age. And he'll be with us. That's the good news. He's in you now. He's with us now. He's in each one of us. And he's with us. Which brings me to this great collaboration, unity. And the fourth gospel of John, moving from chapters 14, where Jesus demonstrates his love as he washes the feet of his disciples, calls out one of his followers who is set to betray him, informs them that some of them are going to be, you know, deny him, tells them he's going to give a Holy Spirit to help them. After all of that, and this is where this message really gets serious, church, After all of that, he switches to prayer to God, not to them. Right? 
Jesus is no longer directing this to the disciples. That's not happening. I've got a question for you at home and here. Which would you rather have? Jesus talking to you or Jesus praying for you? There's no wrong answer. (laughs) There's no wrong answer. But I would invite you today to consider for a moment, you're there. You've just experienced everything Jesus has done, right? You're the disciples who just heard Jesus sharing things they're going to face. And now you're overhearing a prayer on your behalf. Have you ever eavesdropped on hearing a loved one? I've had kids. Have you ever eavesdropped on a kid's prayer and then heard them praying for everyone and praying for you maybe? Have you ever eavesdropped on a prayer by some loved one, some friend, somebody, anywhere, and just heard that prayer? How did that make you feel? And if you haven't, here's the good news today. You have been prayed for. I want to read to you in the 17th chapter of John, in the fourth gospel, a little section to tell you about that prayer. It's on our 17th chapter, beginning at verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone, speaking to God here. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they be also in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one, as we are one. I and them, and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. Father, I want these, those you have given me, to be where I am and to see my glory. The glory you have given me because you have loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father through the world does not know you. I know you. They know you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will. I'm going to move my little tab here. Continue. Uh, in this, um, to make known the order that love which you have me may be in them, and I myself may be in them. You were prayed for, church. And here's the other thing. It's not on you. This prayer is on who? Anybody? God. Let that sink in for a moment. This prayer is to God for us. Yeah, we got to put the work in. But it's God who gathers us together. It's God's spirit who works in us. You've been prayed for in such a mighty way. What does that do for you right now? Jesus' prayer 
For you and I and the whole Christian communities understand that our life and oneness rests and depends on God's care. Now, you can't go out there and say, well, since God's got it, I'm just going to let him do it. No, no. I know that feels good. There's work to be done, but God's there with you. Jesus does not offer practical directives on how to achieve church unity. He doesn't give a four-point plan. He doesn't lay out instructions on how to spot the evil ones in the world. He does not provide instruction on judging one another. Jesus places our future in God's hands, and he invites us to listen on that conversation through John the Gospel writer, meaning the future of the church doesn't totally depend on our own work. It rests with God. So when we hear this, it brings us face to face with the sovereign grace of God. As the sun comes beaming in here, I hope it's shining in your homes. Open the blinds. Surely you have eyes that see, do you? And ears that hear, right? He puts our future in God's hands, and he invites us to listen in on that conversation. Meaning the future of the church doesn't totally depend on you. It makes possible for all generations of believers, all nations to hear and experience the love that Jesus and God has for us. As overhears of this prayer, we're provided with a glimpse of the life God has that goes beyond conventional limits, expectations, and that we are one just as Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit are one. This truth in prayer at the deepest moments of our life are great when our hearts and our habits are wide enough to include others in oneness. Can you imagine what it must have felt like for Jesus as he moved closer to his own death and witnessed arguments and power plays among the followers as he prays this prayer? How about today? How might the Lord feel as our triune God observes our anger, church infightings, competitions, and bigotries? People permit me to share this with you today. I can get anybody through the Lord's help to follow Jesus. I've never struggled in that department. I can't get them to follow him because of all the ugly that they see amongst us. And social media and the news, everywhere down the neighborhoods, our politics are informing our faith, our faith's not informing our politics. It goes on and on and on. There's an old song I really love. They'll know we are Christians by our, anybody? Love. We are one with another, right? They'll know we are Christians by our love. But it's quite the opposite, I'm sorry to say. It's quite the opposite. I also was looking for a church that when I start inviting people, can, can they get there from here? You know. When we are mad at us, we're called to extend grace. That's our job. When we find ourselves in disunity... Jesus' radical demand as imperfect people live in an imperfect world while living in these in-between times provides us instructions from the Beatitudes that Jesus gives us. And Josh just spent 
you know, a lot of good time on our Beatitudes, you know, and that we be reconciled with each other. That there is instructions to be reconciled. Did you know that? It's called hard work. Chapter 5, verse 23. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar first and go and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift. Have you noticed that Jesus puts reconciliation ahead of worship? He's saying worship is secondary. Now, it doesn't mean right now you get out of here before we take communion and you go and try to find the person and it takes you seven to 20 days and you come right back here and you know you do it that way. I mean, that's not realistic, but you're getting the picture, right? Reconciliation is it. And by the way, let me tell you what reconciliation is not. I'm going to go and forgive so-and-so. I'm going to let them know I forgive them. Well, if so-and-so doesn't care to be forgiven, that's not what Jesus is talking about. Because, see, they're not doing the work. The command is you have something that you know with someone that maybe you have harmed them or possibly have knowledge that there needs to be some peacemaking. And the command is you go and have a loving conversation with them. And I say loving conversation because we're people of love, right? A loving conversation is one of my favorite ways to get there. Theologian Glenn Stassen, known for his great work, late theologian, he passed away a few years ago, and peacemaking, quoted from the 14 triads of the Sermon on the Mount, states, Jesus is recognizing that we humans do get angry, so rather than prohibiting anger, he teaches that it can be transformed by living as a peacemaker. And Josh talked about that just not long ago. We're peacemakers, and it doesn't mean peace avoiders. It means peacemaking. It's something you have to do. It's a work to do. So as we're reminded today, we're reminded today the good news is that you're a community, we are a community that's prayed for. I hope that's something that sticks with you today. I invite you to take a moment and ponder what it would be as a church to have as a foundational statement the community in which Christ prays. What would that be like to have that? Because that's the good news, you know. You're a faith community in which Christ prays. All faith communities are a faith community in which Christ prays. Right? The importance of unity among believers is that such oneness leaves the world to believe and follow, not just believe. Right? There are no second-class citizenships among this. Ecumenism, all churches... The economy of God by which God organizes the entire world church becomes the single effort to express unity to which Christians are called. So to review, we have three movements for unity. The great commandment to love, the great commission to go, the great collaboration and unity. We need all three. I'm 56. I'm still working on it.
Still working on it. How about you? Are there any chains that bind you or the people of your faith community at this time in your life? Is there an obstacle between you and another preventing you from oneness with them and oneness with God and Jesus? If so, I invite you to pray and share that with God. Just start speaking to God about it. Maybe you can't do it today. God, help me start, you know. Perhaps you have been praying to God and may feel like inviting someone to that loving conversation. Whatever it is, I pray for your reconciliation and peacemaking. Which brings us to this time of communion where we present ourselves fully to God to confess our failings and receive his mercy and grace. And hopefully you have a little bread. I'm going to move here. Can you hand me my love? A uh, communion cup.